Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 63 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about Galaxy Quest on your The Show Must Go On podcast. I'm Andy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. So this month on Pop Culture Deprived, we are turning things around. It's a year since we launched Eloquent Gushing and started to develop other shows and other projects. So we are watching films that have not been seen by hosts on other shows, but that Mandy has seen. So we're doing Reverse Pop Culture Deprived. This week, we are going to be watching Galaxy Quest, which Dr. Kelly Jones has not seen. You guys might remember Kelly from our Little Shop of Horrors episode last year, which was absolutely fantastic and a delight to have Kelly on the show with us. And she is also on the Big Strong Yes podcast with Lonnie Diane Rich, uh, Southern Fried Pop Culture with me, and she has her own solo podcast called Southern Fried Scholar. Kelly, I am so glad that you are back with us today. Me too. Thank you all so much Yay. for having me back on the show. <laughs> I had so much fun talking with y'all about Little Shop of Horrors, and I cannot wait to talk about Galaxy Quest. Well, then let's just jump right in, Kelly. Why have you never seen Galaxy Quest? I, the only reason I can think of, well, there's two. One is the universe is a trickster and messes with me. And the other is um, the movie came out in 1999. My son was born in 1999. And movies just were not on my radar. But the fact that I have not seen this is crazy because... I actually study fandom and participatory culture. So this movie was like made specifically to delight me. And I'm so glad y'all had me watch it. So did you just not even know about this movie? No. Mm -mm. Like okay. I had, I guess I'd heard it or seen it in the, you know, like if you like this movie, you like, you might like this movie kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it was just never, I don't know, somehow it never made it on my, on my radar at all. So I had no context for this movie whatsoever. Okay. Well, before we jump into our proper conversation, I'm going to give a little bit of history of the movie. So Galaxy Quest is an American science fiction comedy that was released on Christmas Day of 1999. Written by David Howard and Robert Gordon, it is a parody of science fiction films and series, but most notably Star Trek and its fandom. The cast list is impressive. It stars Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Tony Shalhoub, Sam Rockwell, and Daryl Mitchell. Producer Mark Johnson wanted Dean Parasat to direct the film, but DreamWorks favored Harold Ramis. Ramis was hired in November of 1998, but departed in February of 1999 because he didn't approve of Tim Allen's casting as Jason Nesmith. Ramis wanted Alec Baldwin for the role, who turned it down. Steve Martin and Kevin Kline were also considered, but they both turned it down as well. Parasat took over as director, and once the film was released, Ramis admitted that Tim's performance was impressive. Interestingly enough, the filmmakers wanted an actress who had never done sci-fi before to play Gwen, the role that ultimately went to Sigourney Weaver, famous for both Alien and Ghostbusters. Before it was released, a promotional mockumentary aired on E! called Galaxy Quest 20th Anniversary The Journey Continues. It presented the show as an actual cult series and the upcoming film as a documentary about the making of the show. If no one's seen that, we are going to put the link in the show notes because it is very, very funny. It has some really good inside gags about home improvement, about Star Trek, about the development of these shows. It's really good. It is very, very good. Um, Kelly, if you didn't get a chance to watch that, you should definitely do that. I didn't, and I can't wait to see it. All right. <laughs> 
Uh, made with a $45 million budget, the film was financially successful, bringing in double that at nearly $91 million at the box office. It was received positively by critics, winning the Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation, which was also won by the original Star Trek series, and the Nebula Award for Best Script. In addition, it was also nominated for 10 Saturn Awards, including Best Science Fiction Film, Best Director, Best Actress, and Best Supporting Actor for Alan Rickman. Tim Allen did win for Best Actor. Galaxy Quest has achieved cult status, largely in part because of Star Trek fans who appreciated the affectionate parody. At the 2013 Star Trek convention in Las Vegas, fans even voted Galaxy Quest as the seventh best Star Trek film out of the 12 that had been released at the time. It, it's quite funny, the uh, sort of inside baseball stuff of, of doing that vote, because if you consider Galaxy Quest a film, a Star Trek film at the point it's released, it keeps up the trend of odd-numbered Star Trek films are not good and even-numbered Star Trek films are good. Oh. <laughs> so this is a good one in between two bad ones. And then it even keeps the trend going into the uh, the 2009 Star Trek reboot series. Oh, absolutely, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, Kelly, since you had never seen this before, why don't you tell everybody what it's about? Okay, well, this is my take on what it was about. Um, I read the movie as a love letter to Star Trek and fandom and the power of story. So I guess the cast of the show Galaxy Quest, which is basically Star Trek, find themselves on a real galaxy-wide quest battling with aliens who had based their entire culture on historical documents like the television broadcast that had reached their planet of Galaxy Quest, which was so cool. <laughs> and the, the cast of the show ends up saving the world while discovering their own strengths and their love for each other. And um, it just made me want to go research the culture of that planet and how the... <laughs> The impact of viewing a television show as a historical document, like what that would do to culture and how people could shape themselves around that. But lots of action, lots of humor. Um, it was fantastic. The, the very idea of it almost sounds like an aside from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. This planet yeah. that didn't have fiction and believed imaginary stories were real from another planet it, it did and I, and I think my love for Douglas Adams immediately hooked me into this movie but when I first started right. it I didn't know like I had no idea what it was about and I intentionally didn't read anything and so when it opened up kind of at the galaxy cast um at the galaxy quest you know con I thought it was going to be about the making of the show and then when the aliens showed up, I kept typing in my notes. I was like, please let these be real aliens. Like, please let this be real. <laughs> and <laughs> when the limo got picked up to the spaceship, I was just cheering. I was like, yes, this is going to be awesome. So it was it was so delightful. And how, how were you able to watch the film? So I actually um, found the DVD in a store for like five bucks right after you guys invited me to watch it. And so I just picked it up. Nice. And good. I'm really glad I own it now because I will be watching it again. <laughs> oh, good. How about y'all? How did you watch it? It's not available on Netflix or any of the subscription streaming services here, but it is available on Stars On Demand. So that's one way to watch it if you happen to have the Stars channel. And in the UK, it's on Sky Cinema. Um, I own it on DVD as well, but I ended up watching it on my iPad on Sky. Because everything is available on Sky Cinema. Yeah, I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, but also, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Kelly, it sounds like you didn't know much about this at all. What was your expectation 
when you're putting the DVD in? So I had absolutely no context for the movie at all. Um, Based on the DVD cover, I figured it was sci-fi. And since Alan Rickman was in it, I reckoned I would love it. But when you guys posted on Twitter (laughs) that we were watching this, um, everyone's response made it seem like people loved it. So I might have gone in with a like a positive bias, but I didn't realize it was a parody. Um, And I like parodies that are smart and like made with love, like the videos done by the Hillywood studios and Robin Hood men in tights. But I usually don't enjoy parodies that are silly or like just make fun of the source material with meanness in Mm -hmm. them. Um, So I was hoping it was not going to be that kind of story, but I honestly didn't know, is this just like sci-fi adventure or was this something else? And, the the parody side of it took me completely by surprise. Good. Um, Mandy mentioned the the exquisite cast up top. So, what's your experience of Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, and the various people in this? Oh, the cast was fantastic. Um, I have to admit, I'm not a big Tim Allen fan, but I think he did a great job in this movie. Um, and Sigourney Weaver is wonderful, of course. One of my f- favorite other sci-fi alien movies is Paul. Um, which I adore, and she's in that, and of course, Ghostbusters. Mm. But I've never watched the Alien movies because they look too scary, violent, gory for me. So I have I know she's in them, right. but I've never seen them. But my love for Alan Rickman is boundless. So Love Actually is my favorite holiday movie, tied with Die Hard maybe, but Love Actually probably comes first. Um, <laughs> I love him as Professor Snape, and he was in one of the most romantic music videos I have ever seen for a song called In Demand by Texas. And he dances mm. with the singer at a gas station. And y'all, that man could dance. And I mean, it just lit my heart up to watch him. And I know um, Tony Shalab, how do you, y'all, how do you pronounce his name? I think I said it wrong. I, oh, I always go Shalhoub. Shalhoub? Oh, see, okay. and I always say Shalhoub, so I have Shalhoub. no idea. Okay. <laughs> Um, I know Tony Shalhoub starred in Monk, but I've never seen it. Uh, but I really liked him in Galaxy Quest. And I was not familiar with Sam Rockwell or Daryl Mitchell at all. But of course, I knew Enrico, um, Enrico Cullen Tony as Keith Mars on Veronica Mars, which I love. And I adored his character on that show and in this movie. And a fun fact about the casting, this was Rain Wilson's movie debut and also Justin Long's movie debut. Oh, cool. Which I thought was pretty awesome. Just while we're on actors, uh, Mandy, did you notice who was playing Saris? Um, I I didn't. I couldn't pick him out. And um, I saw it in the list. And then I was like, oh. But then now I don't remember who it was. Okay. It's Robin Sachs from Buffy. (laughs) Whose name I now can't remember. Ethan Rain? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You are absolutely right. Oh, wow. You're right. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's fantastic. We have a Buffy connection. This is like the perfect movie for this show because it's all about (laughs) Star Trek, but now we've got a Buffy (laughs) reference, too. That is wonderful. (laughs) Okay. I'm, I'm pulling up a picture of the villain to see if I can see it. There's there's a couple of moments because he's a little bit more shouty and aggressive mm-hmm. than when we've seen him in um, uh, Buffy. But yeah, I, I don't see not it. realize that was him. God, all I see when I look at Saris is like the Grinch with like <laughs> insect feet coming out of his head. Oh That's my all god, I see. the Grinch! I thought it looked like a giant praying mantis who was having a really bad day. <laughs> Okay, no, I did not notice that. So thank you for bringing that to my attention. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. 
All right, Kelly, what experience do you have of other similar material like Star Trek or um, there's a new series on Fox called The Orville, which is very Star Trek parody-esque. That's my understanding. I haven't seen it yet. Mm. Um, And then there are other um, just general parodies like Spaceballs or Scary Movie or Austin Powers. Are these things that you watch? So I watched and loved um, a lot of the original Star Trek and Star Trek The Next Generation. But I have to admit my favorite Star Trek movie is um, Into Darkness because Benedict Cumberbatch. That's why. Um, And I really like Chris Pine and, and Zachary Quinto. And I've always had a soft spot in my heart for Spock. So I love the whole Star Trek franchise. Um, I do love Spaceballs, and I can quote most of it because, you know, Star Wars. <laughs> and um, Paul, you know, which with Sigourney Weaver is one of my favorites because it sort of lovingly pokes fun at all Alien movies and fans. But other kind of parodies like Airplane or Austin Powers, it's just not really. I don't like those kind of movies at all. Okay. So you, you prefer affectionate parody and not making fun of parody i do yeah and any any movie that crosses the line too far into silly is probably going to lose me at some point i mean i say that loving spaceball so take that with a grain of salt (laughs) yeah that's that's the one that really surprised me because that is the one that i would use as an example of the opposite of galaxy quest almost Mm -hmm. like let's take this thing and make it silly rather than let's do this thing and point out the funny aspects of it yeah, and I know it's really, really silly, but I think maybe because I watched it so much as a kid, I don't know. Um, right. But it was so self-aware of the way that mm-hmm. it was making fun of Star Wars, and I just, I don't know, every time I watch it, it makes me laugh. So I, that one just may be an exception to the rule, but I do love it. Okay. Mm. it. It is a terrific film. I'm not denigrating it at all. It is very, very funny. Yeah, it really is funny. Yeah. And, and like you say, it's knowingly pointed. So so it can also do some of the kind of meta stuff about, oh, merchandising. That's mm-hmm. what we do here. Exactly. And and I think <laughs> yeah. it's that meta awareness that I love. But, but like, we still joke. Um, this is one of the few movies that my son likes that I also like. And so we joke every time we have to set up a, you know, a password, anything. We're like, one, two, three, four. Sounds like the combination an idiot would put on his luggage. Like, we just, there's, there's so many great nice. quotable lines from that movie. Okay. So, having now watched Galaxy Quest, did you enjoy it? Oh, I loved it. So, so, so much. It, this was wonderful in all the ways. Oh, that makes me so happy. I was a little worried um, at first that maybe you wouldn't enjoy it, but I'm so, so glad you did. Oh, I adored it. I was so glad that you guys had me watch this because I don't know that I ever would have watched it if I wasn't doing the show with y'all. So I, I think continuing that conversation we've just had about the the way this works as a parody, it's really good because it's doing something I think that's very different than what you see elsewhere. It's actually parodying a world in which Star Trek exists, <laughs> the, the fandom of the world. It's not doing uh, like Spaceballs or many other sort of SNL type parodies of here's the show and we're going to make fun of it it's actually doing the the behind the scenes of the show Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's able to lampoon the very serious actor dealing with it and it's able to talk about the relationships between people that grow up to the extent they even stole some of the stories used for comedy from actual stories that happened and the way like bill shatner found out what people thought of him and so on (laughs) i think a really good way to to sum that up is that it it does parody very clearly but it's also being serious at the same time and I think that's really really hard to do 
But the review in the New York Times uh, that was written by Lawrence Van Gelder called it an amiable comedy that simultaneously manages to spoof these popular futuristic space adventures and replicate the very elements that have made them so durable. And I just can't think of a better way to say that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's absolutely on point about replicating things. I mean, this is effectively doing the show, Mm -hmm. doing Star Trek, doing fandom with a bit of a nod. But it takes itself seriously enough that you can buy into it and enjoy this as a film on its own. I, w- I would imagine people who haven't seen Star Trek will still enjoy this and go, oh, it's a good sci-fi romp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I- I'm thinking about it. And I think probably the-, the biggest difference between this and other parodies that you see is that there are no nods and winks to the audience in this movie. Mm. It's all played very straight, even though... Most of the audience who's watching it understands that this is a spoof of Star Trek. But if you don't know that, you would never know that there was an inside joke here. Do you think I'm off base with that? No. Yeah, I'm trying to, th- I'm trying to think if, if there are any moments that do that nodding at the audience. But, but no, it is absolutely play straight. And it is uh, just treating this as a world that exists. It's mm-hmm. excellent. Mm. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I, I can't think of another parody that's done that or at least if they have they haven't done it nearly as well i was really glad that they picked star trek as the i guess the inspiration for this in my research of of fandom and participatory culture the most notable scholar is henry jenkins and he studies um fandom and and you know all kind of theories of, of how fans interact with and shape story and star trek is sort of the first major case of fan fiction and the first show where fans really started interacting with writers and even influencing some of the direction of the show so like the way that we think of fandom today and then the way that we interact with stories and with shows a lot of that really started with star trek so it was it was really interesting for me that that's the story that they went to for this movie and and i think they treated it with a lot of respect and that was really fun to watch and i wonder if partially that's why it works because where something else doing this would would try to stick to its sort of source material in inverted commas as closely as possible this doesn't it, it uses star trek for uh i think the fandom and some of the real world things that the fact that there's a large con and, and the way people re- react to the characters mm-hmm. but the way oh how am i going to say this the way galaxy quest is cancelled and then as far as we can see there wasn't anything else so this is like 17 years it's been off the air, is quite different from Star Trek. Like Star Trek got an animated series and comics and books, and then they tried to make a new series, but then that became a movie over the course of the 17 years between the original series and Next Gen. Mm -hmm. What this feels more like to me is almost Firefly. The show had a short run. Admittedly, Firefly was a lot shorter, but then was cancelled and everyone's up in arms and forever going on about it. Oh, yes. (laughs) Absolutely, and the cancellation of Firefly will always hurt my heart. And so, I think you're absolutely right about that. And admittedly, even Firefly, we got a movie and we've had comics and everything. Mm-hmm. But it just it, it feels like that's almost what it has more in yeah uh, more in keeping with or, or Battlestar Galactica maybe. Well, some of us have to head canon that Serenity the movie never actually happened. Um, <laughs> yes, because I refuse yes, do. to accept that as reality. So <laughs> right I just stick you. to the show. <laughs> but 
I, I like that they were so not confident or comfortable being able to separate themselves from from Star Trek, but make this a, a whole believable world where this has happened. Mm-hmm. Do we think the world where Galaxy Quest ex- exists is a world where Star Trek also exists? Hmm. <sighs> and this is just a kind of Star Trek Star Wars thing, but no one's mentioning it? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think this this was a, a iteration of Star Trek because... Well, and Star Trek and Star Wars are so different. You know, if you look at them, Star Wars is about power and faith and the nature of good and evil. And, you know, Star Trek to me has always been about exploration and peace and culture and hope. And they have very different takes on the world, I think. Um, And this Hmm. felt a lot more like Star Trek to me. Yeah, I feel like Galaxy Quest is an alternate universe Star Trek so yeah. I don't think right. they fit okay. in the same because honestly, if they did, the aliens probably would have found um, Captain Kirk or Captain Picard <laughs> rather than Commander Nesmith. So yeah. I'm gonna go with that. I I want Galaxy Quest, but with Patrick Stewart and like Michael Dawn and Brent Spiner. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, um, I did love though how they had um, the red shirt trope. Even though they didn't yes. call it that, they had yes. Guy and nobody knew his last name and he yep. was like scared to stay on the ship and then he decided to go on the adventure and then he's crying because, oh crap, this is going to kill me, you know. <laughs> and it was done so straight, you know, without even a nod to actual red shirts. It was just that type of character and um, I thought that was fantastic. Me too. Yeah, and I really loved it when Fred, at the end when Guy was like, I'm going to die because this is my role, you know. And he was like, have you ever thought that maybe you're the lovable comic relief? And I just love that meta character role switching within the story, like reframing that for for him and his purpose and his perspective. Like, that was so well done. Mm-hmm. Um, since we are talking so much about Star Trek, I want to talk about the reactions that the Star Trek actors had when they saw this movie. Because they are fantastic. Hmm. Patrick Stewart, of course, is is Captain Jean-Luc Picard on The Next Generation. So he went to see this and he said, I had originally not wanted to see Galaxy Quest because I heard that it was making fun of Star Trek. And then Jonathan Frakes rang me up and said, you must not miss this movie. See it on a Saturday night in a full theater. And I did. And of course, I found it was brilliant. Brilliant. No one laughed louder or longer in the cinema than I did, but the idea that the ship was saved and all of our heroes in that movie were saved simply by the fact that there were fans who did understand the scientific principles on which the ship worked was absolutely wonderful. And it was both funny and also touching and that it paid tribute to the dedication of these fans. Yeah, he gets it. He totally gets it in a way that I don't think anybody else did. It's funny. I've seen him tell a story about uh, Red Dwarf, which is a, a British science fiction sitcom, um, and about how he was in the UK and saw Red Dwarf on TV, and uh, the way he tells the story started reaching for the phone to call his lawyer about the way they were uh, spoofing Star Trek and stealing things from it. Mm-hmm. And he said, as he did that, it already made him start laughing, so he let it go. <laughs> I love that. I've made notes while I was watching this live, like top of mind, you know, and I was like, I am so glad that the commander called the fans for help at the end, because it was really the fans that ended up saving the day, you know, or, or at least enabling the the heroes to, to save the ship. Um, and it was such a loving nod 
to fans. I just thought it was brilliantly done, and, and it made me love the ending of the movie so much. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. It's just so good. It, it's really easy to just gush and gush and gush about this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's very clever to uh, th- those fans that they only serve that purpose right at the very end. Mm-hmm. But to build on the, the love of story, the fact that the Thermians have taken stories as real and created a thing based on them, and they then need experts in those stories to be able to do the thing. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, just, it's so laid. It's so clever. It, it is. is. It really is. Okay, so next up, Will Wheaton's reaction. He said... Will Wheaton. <laughs> Uh, he said, I loved Galaxy Quest. I thought it was brilliant satire, not only of Trek, but of fandom in general. The only thing I wish they had done was cast me in it and have me play a freaky fanboy who keeps screaming at the actor who played the kid about how awful it was that there was a kid on the spaceship. Alas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. that. That's a dude with that. a chip on his shoulder. Oh, that's great. <laughs> oh, no. He was totally kidding. <laughs> I mean, that's his, so that's his life. So shut and, up, Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. Like, this movie is not alien, um, but Ready Player One is coming out soon. Yes. And I loved the book so much. And it's narrated by Will Wheaton. Mm-hmm. I listened to it on, on audio. And there's a joke about Will Wheaton. Like, he's a character in the book. And so he's narrating and, like, making fun of himself. And this meta humor that was in that. Just <laughs> just the the love of gaming and science fiction in that movie is hmm. so great. So I think anybody that liked Galaxy Quest will like Ready Player One when it comes out. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I can't wait for Ready Player One. Okay. So the last uh, quote I'm going to give from the Star Trek actors is from William Shatner. But before I say it, I want to preface it by saying that Tim Allen has gone on record saying that he modeled his acting um, off of Yul Brynner and not off of William Shatner when he was building Mm. his character. And so William Shatner said... I thought it was very funny, and I thought the audience that they portrayed was totally real, but the actors that they were pretending to be were totally unrecognizable. (laughs) Certainly, I don't know what Tim Allen was doing. He seemed to be the head of a group of actors, and for the life of me, I was trying to understand who he was imitating. The only one I recognized was the girl playing Nichelle Nichols. (laughs) When I read that, I could not stop laughing. (laughs) It's just fantastic. And and yet the the way Tim Allen portrays it, he's he doesn't act like Shatner. He doesn't give those those Mm-mm. Shatnerian Mm-mm. pauses and then very quick lines after it. No. He doesn't do any of that. He he's almost arguably more like uh Scott Bakula, the captain that comes after Galaxy Quest. Okay. Yeah. But but like I was saying, they they pull in some of the funny elements of it. The thing like losing his shirt, the thing about loving the fans and knowing it inside out. And this was a man who very much wanted to jump and roll on the ground, like he. Yes. <laughs> and I I put in my notes when I was watching this that I think like the commander that you know Tim Allen's character wanted that story to be real so much, and so when he sort of got the opportunity for it to be real he just bought in like immediately you know it was this was what he it was like that having that story be real for him was better than anything else that he could have found and so watching his arc kind of 
being able to gain appreciation for his team and being able to gain appreciation for the fans and realize that Mm. it was not all about him, I thought was, was really great. But I did like the enthusiasm that he had for, Hey, this whole other thing actually exists. Yay. Like I really thought that was, that that was cute. Yeah. One of the things I had noticed was um, once he finally understands it's real and he goes back up to the ship and he's, got his crewmates or or his fellow actors to go up to the ship too. When they get there, it it's not that much longer after he has been there. Like he hasn't been on that ship that long. And right. he knows where everything is. He know how he knows how everything works and he is just all in in that moment. And I think that's a very subtle way that the the story writers gave us that insight that he wanted this to be so real while he was acting this role that now that it is, he is just running with it. Yeah. That's what I thought too. Mm. And again, he's, he knows those stories so well, mm-hmm. of course he knows the layout of the ship. Right. Right. And, and <laughs> it was, so, true. <laughs> it was such a great juxtaposition then with Alex who is in it for the acting and the craft, you know, and that just the difference between their reactions and what they wanted you know, what was driving them, I thought was just so well done. I like that it's it's unspoken, but very clearly a thing for all of them. And, and including Sam Rockwell's character, this was the highlight of their career. This was like the absolute high point. Yeah. So they are all in some way reliving it, trying to recapture it, trying to milk it for whatever they can. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at different levels as well. But to the extent when they start announcing them and she, she knows she's about to go on, so she touches up her hair and rushes out to go and do it. Alexander's there in his makeup for the entire thing. Yeah, yeah like, being that, in that the is makeup. Commitment. Like, yeah. The fact that he still had that mask on when he was at home. I laughed yeah, so hard. <laughs> that's very good. Him keeping it on all the way through. Yep, um, it was so good. It was like being at Disney but, World and you never saw him out of his costume. Like, it was just so good. Yeah. But like, I mean, Mandy, you've been to cons. The actors don't do that. They don't turn up in the outfits and the the makeup and No, they don't. They don't. (laughs) Like, very maybe, you know, uh, Josh Brolin did it and Tom Hiddleston did it. But they are big villains in the MCU. They're allowed to. Right. Well, but they only did it once. And it was really Mm. because they were still promoting the movie. You know, it wasn't 20 years later they're still showing up. You know, I mean, in 20 years, Tom Hiddleston's not going to show up as Loki. I don't think <laughs> and that will be a damn shame because he can show up as loki anywhere he wants in my right <laughs> yeah i mean because they don't even show up in in their costumes like they all showed up wearing their uniforms from the ship mm. um and and that's not something that you you see either you know you, you see people wearing normal everyday clothes and and you're going to see the actor not the character mm-hmm. um, yeah but i and you hear I, them speaking without their accents <laughs> yes. Um, but I thought it was interesting, though, because, again, that just is still sort of showing love to the, the con fandoms, because that's what the mm-hmm. fans do. The fans show up to the cons in those costumes, and they show up as the characters. And so I thought it was interesting how they kind of mirrored that with the actors on this one. Yes. Yeah, yeah the the love of the story, and that's what they, they want to stay in. Mm-hmm. Mm, nice. I mean, for all of Alex's complaining... For him to stay in that costume for as long as he did, it, it wasn't just a job. He really did love that character. Yeah. Mm. Even though he 
acted so much like he hated it. I just, yeah, I mean, it just tickled me to no end. He just liked being a grumpy old man, but he really mm-hmm. liked being that alien whose name I cannot remember to save my life. Oh, good. Nobody else remembers it either. Matthew's looking it nope. up. <laughs> Dr. I am Lazarus. so bad with with <laughs> actors' names, y'all. I am the worst. Yeah, well, and the thing, but the thing with this though is that we got the actors' names throughout it, not the character names. Like right. I know Jason mm. and Gwen. Like when we were watching, well, I guess not we. I was watching the mockumentary that they did before this came out, and when they showed Sigourney Weaver, it said gwen what's her name i don't know her last name yeah. and then underneath it said like dr madison holly or something like that and i'm like i never once heard that name in the movie but that was the character's name yeah. i just knew her as gwen the whole time <laughs> so that i don't know that's just an interesting detail of, of how they did it and this even just looking at the list of the names there's so much detail in here that is is just so good the fact he's called dr lazarus Yes. <laughs> Which is a play because everyone says it's Dr. Spock. It's right. like, no, no, different Spock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... And the, the only person whose name I ever remember is Sam Rockwell's because of the joke that he's just called Guy. Yes. <laughs> oh, him, he's Guy. Right. <laughs> right. And then yeah. when, the, when, the, when the woman alien, I can't remember her name, she comes back to Earth and she ends up on the show and she's Jane Doe. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Her name is Lolly Arley. Lo- okay, thank you. Lolly Ari. And she was supposed to have a very, very, very small role, but Steven Spielberg liked the actor so much that he pushed them to give her an expanded role. And that's how she ended up with that love story with Fred. I'm glad they did because she was adorable. And yeah. her little smile. And I loved it when she was kissing him. And then she had like the tentacles in the back. <laughs> and she kind of looked at him like, is this okay? And he's like smiling. And I was like, oh my god i love this movie <laughs> it was so even, sweet <laughs> even a moment of consent in the silly comedy. exactly yeah. terrific yeah it was great <laughs> it's <was> just great <laughs> okay before we deluge too far into just straight up gushing we did have some questions from some of our listeners that i want to run through really quick okay um so kelly carrie at we do words she asked who is your favorite Oh, it's that guy or girl in this film. Because there are a whole slew of amazing actors beyond the top billing who are also pretty great. So this was funny. Um, it was actually Brandon, the the kid, you know, mm-hmm. who was the fan that ended up helping save the day. And I kept looking at him going, I know that guy. Where do I know that guy? And so I had to look him up. It's Justin Long. And mm-hmm. he had a very short part in the Veronica Mars movie. Which I thought was great because it was another connection to Veronica Mars. Um, There's a part (laughs) in the movie where she goes to a bar and he is like playing this guy's wingman trying to get her to talk to his friend. And he's just in there for a second. But I've seen the movie so many times that I recognized him. Mm. And so that was kind Um, of a fun aha and another connection to Veronica Mars. (laughs) Uh, Do you remember those old uh, Mac commercials where there were people who would say, Oh my God, that's him! Mm He is the Mac. He's the Mac. Yeah, you're right. I totally <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah, and, and he's... isn't is is PC John Hodgman? I don't remember. <laughs> okay. I always just yeah, remember that guy. He kind of plays Justin Long, kind of plays Steve Jobs in those commercials. I totally forgot. Yeah. Um, and he's also in um, oh gosh, uh, Live Free and Die Hard with Bruce Willis. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. I mean, yeah. he's done a lot of stuff. 
um, yep. since then. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I always recognize him. So I, I think he was definitely one of the that guys. Although um, I think for me it was Rain Wilson. Even though he's not really a that guy, he's very, very famous now. Um, but seeing him in his first he's movie He's in Star role, Trek. Um, yeah, he was in Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. And um, yeah, he's fantastic. That that was the one that I think on this watch, I was like, oh, and of course, he's now in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was quite cool. I think I'd have to say Sam Rockwell, because I'd completely forgotten until this watch that it was him. Because I think of Sam Rockwell as like the guy in Iron Man 2 and yes. Zayford Beeblebrox. And, and, you know, being charming and dancing about on screen and just being cool. And he is not that in this film. Oh, no. <laughs> he is neurotic and on edge. And it's such a different portrayal. Mm-hmm. It, it absolutely threw me out. Um, I asked Carrie what hers was. And for her, number one, it's definitely Enrico Calantoni mm-hmm. as Mathazar. It took me forever to recognize him, but even better, his character and characterization are so good that I didn't spend that much energy wondering who he was. But then I got about three quarters of the way through the film and my heart did a little jig. Honorable oh. mentions for Missy Pyle and Tony Shahu. <laughs> yeah. No, I loved it. As soon as I saw him, I was like, it's Keith Mars. And I was so happy. <laughs> Yeah. So really Some, someone else mentioned him of like oh yeah he's great it's always good to see him in a film I'm like I've never seen anything else this guy is in <laughs> really I, I had no idea he was even like an actor from anything else oh my this gosh. would be it for him <laughs> um, we need to do Veronica Mars just for oh, you yes you do it is fantastic <laughs> Um, We also had a question from Jan at JLMO. She wanted to know if you noticed how Sigourney Weaver's clothes started as zip to the neck and ended, well, not. Oh, yeah, I did. Um, I even put (laughs) a note in my notes when I was watching the movie like, yep, even in alien spaceship adventure movies, we got to have cleavage. Like, and (laughs) why in the world? Her shirt had to be completely off by the end. I, I have no idea. Although I did think it was funny that Tim Allen lost his shirt too. But yeah, I noticed. It was just like, okay, seriously? Can can we all have uniforms that zip up? Like, does it have to be <laughs> like that? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, but, well, the thing is, though, is that they actually called attention to Tim Allen losing his shirt, but they didn't say anything about hers. Hers right. just happened and with tim they made it like oh of course your shirt fell off because you're the sexy commander blah blah blah. you know (laughs) and and i mean in all that ship with all that stuff like they didn't have an extra uniform for her i mean come on really like (laughs) just yeah okay it's answered in the deleted scenes so it's fully extra textual but there is uh, a whole sequence they took out where when they get to the button, as they're about to press it, two guards interrupt them and start shooting at them and try to stop them pressing the button and, and blah, blah, blah. And one of them makes a reference of, but I find this one strangely attractive. <laughs> and there's then a whole joke of like, how can you find an animal attractive? So on and so forth. And she's all offended, but she plays into it. She unzips her thing, completely distracts them. And then she talks to the computer, tells the computer to close the door and the door squashes them. <laughs> oh, I'm glad okay. they got squashed. So they actually <laughs> threw in a bit of the thing for it, but there's also no reason she couldn't then have zipped it back up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean. So, and, yep. and you're absolutely right. It does. You suddenly get to that end point. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, what? No, everyone else's yeah. clothes are fine, but yeah. 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 It's a bit strange. 
It is. Um, it, it, interesting. There, there's a lot... Her characterization, the thing of her role is just to reinterpret the computer and ask questions to the computer. Yeah. It, that's probably the most sort of parodying-esque thing. Although, it, arguably, it's not a parody of Star Trek because they actually gave her a stuff to do. Mm-hmm. She was a fully-fledged character. But the only development she gets there is, is leaning into it and saying, look, I've only got this job, so I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, it was pretty ridiculous. But she's like, I have one job. I'm going to do this mm. one job. And I was like, why does the computer only talk to her and not... Like, what is yeah. going on with that? Um, it was kind of a... I mean, I like the fact that they called it out, that that was her only mm. job, because what a waste. I mean, she was obviously super intelligent and brave and capable. and um, But it's just one of those unfortunate hey, we're still going to be completely sexist when we make this movie. And kind of the other thing that stood out to me there was, you know, the the Thermians had based their whole culture on the show, and they had those interpreters. They're like visual interpreters and the, you know, language interpreters. But when they put on their human form, they were all Caucasian. Like every single alien on the ship was white. And I thought that that was a huge missed opportunity that they could have actually had human diversity in the movie. And I don't know if they did that on purpose to kind of call out the lack of diversity in a lot of science fiction movies, or, you know, if it was just an unfortunate part of the culture in 1999. Yeah, because the culture, the aliens are basing their technology on something from the 80s. Right. So that's how it would have appeared in 1982 on TV. Well, I mean, except they did have Tommy. Right. Yeah. Yep. So that was just, I think, probably my one criticism of the movie. I think I loved everything else. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, at Just Ruckus asked, what do you think the movie is about? For me, it's the power of story. And I know you've kind of already touched on that a little bit, but I wanted to see if you wanted to expand on that. Yeah, I. it was definitely about the love of story um, and the role of meta story and, and maybe to some extent the role of mythology in our lives. But I think one of the most powerful lines actually came from Ceres when he was, you know, being all evil and and killing people. And when he made the actors tell the Thermians, you know, that this was all pretend and this was a show, he said, you have all done greater damage than I ever could have. And it was to me like what happens when you lose faith in something because believing in something that's not true can break your heart. And so stories can comfort and they can inspire us and, you know, they can help us, but they can also shake your reality to the core. And so that broken faith and that the loss that you can suffer from story, I think was just as powerfully expressed as the love of story in this. So I think that they, they really did a great job with that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Elizabeth Arnold at eBethorama, she said there's a lot of meta humor that was fresh for the time. Now that's being done a lot more. Does it still hold up? Oh, it, for, it did for me. <laughs> I thought it was really funny all the way through. Yeah, I think, I, I still don't know that anybody has done it quite as well as Galaxy Quest did. Yeah, it's really funny how this is parodying the production of Star Trek and the, the real world elements around Star Trek, where what the Orville is now doing is parodying the show. But in exactly the same way, it's doing the show. It's still doing a Star Trek story, but mm-hmm. it's doing what if we also had beers on the on the bridge? Or what if we also did karaoke and had the Klingon dude doing Celine Dion at karaoke? <laughs> well, like, 
poking fun at itself, but in a very nice, gentle way. It's not being mean about it, whilst at the same time doing what are legitimately good stories. Right. Well, in this, you get the meta of, you know, not just the show, but also the actors and the writers and the set designers and the fans. And so it, it has this, you know, the huge mythos of the world. And then it has that very human element of what it means to interact with that story or build that story or be part of that story or believe in that story, um, which I haven't seen anything else do that well. Mm -hmm. Um, Elizabeth also asked, is its treatment of fandoms and fans ultimately loving or not? I thought it was. Um, And I liked seeing the cast really show their appreciation for the fans Um, and the fans saved the day. So yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a, a loving nod to fandom. Yeah. Yeah. Compared to, there's a documentary called Trekkies, mm-hmm. which w- was made by Denise Crosby about people who love Star Trek, and it's just a little, hey, look at these guys, aren't they weird? Yeah, at times. it's a little mean. Mm. Yeah, and this absolutely avoids that in a very nice way. You've even got the jock dudes coming in and making fun of them. And you're like, hey, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> Why are you even there? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I think there were a few moments that were less affectionate but i think through the course of the story they were kind of overcome so like when jason gets really annoyed with brandon and is like Mm -hmm. dude it's not real it's just a story um but that's because he's having some very intense emotions himself because he overheard people making fun of him right um that was slightly less affectionate and then there was just the whole um I don't know, the, the women fans swooning over Tim Allen's character. Like, once he comes out of the spaceship at the end, there's one who, like, literally falls to the ground. Um, I thought oh, that was a yeah, little I saw over that. the top. I think when he kissed Gwen, I think that they Oh, you're they right, that's what it was. And I think it was the, he dipped her and, and kissed her. And mm-hmm. um, and I didn't particularly like that either. It felt like, um, like, Lonnie Diane Wrench has talked about this, about, like, a man saves the day and then the woman is, like, his prize. Because I didn't pick up. I mean, I know that they were trying to play them sort of as romantic together. I didn't really buy that. But then at the end, because he saved the day, now suddenly they're together. Oh, see, I didn't read it that way at all. I could have, yeah. I I don't know. I just, (laughs) so like, I was like, okay, whatever. You're going to have this thing at the end. But I didn't buy it all the way through. (laughs) Okay, can I give you a different perspective on it? Sure. Okay, so... The way I looked at it was, okay, so they did the show, you know, 17 years ago or whatever. And on the show, these two characters never had anything together. It was not romantic, you know, but they've been doing these cons and they've been doing all of these things for the last 17 years together and they've gotten close and they've bonded. And it kind of felt like he always wanted it to be a little bit more because he was the one who was always kind of edging up to her and kind of trying to talk to her and she was always pushing him away and then they go through this like life altering experience together and they save the world together and so I feel like that moment at the end was him coming off the ship and saying we survived that life is short we should be happy together and that's when he kisses her and so I didn't see it as a prize at all oh I like your take better 
You have, <laughs> you have a, Maybe I'm just too optimistic. No, I like it. You have a much more generous read of that than I do. Um, and maybe it was just, I just didn't buy the chemistry between the two of them. But I did love at the end when they all take a bow together. Because then it really was his shift from I'm the hero, I'm the star, mm-hmm. to we did this, we saved the world, we're a team. Mm. And I saw that as more of the love of the friendship of the team than really that between the two of them. Um, but I like your take. You have a you have a generous heart, Mandy. You have a <laughs> lovely way of viewing I try. the world. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I do. So, just sometimes. Do we almost need that moment of her being the one to help them complete the mission? Because she doesn't do anything in that in that final sequence. She rants at things, and and there's moments. But like I was saying, there was that deleted scene where she's the one who defeats the guards who would have otherwise stopped them, and the ship would have blown up. I would have liked to have had that scene. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. um, very much so. Even if it's her using her sexiness and talking to the computer. No, I'd rather Which her just, at least her you know, owning the stereotype. Yeah, yeah, it would have been better if she had just shot them, but yeah, <laughs> I would have liked <laughs> to have seen them defeat her. I did love her reaction at the end, though, when they were dealing with that big crushing thing and they had to run and learn the pattern, and she's, her reaction was so funny. Two, three, what is this thing? Four, I mean, there's no useful purpose for there to be a bunch of choppy, crushy things in the middle of a horse. Because it makes no sense. Like, why would you have something like that in a spaceship? <laughs> so that I thought that was really funny. Kind of making mm-hmm. fun of all the action adventure movies that have that huge, you know, thing you have to overcome at the end. I did like her line there, but yeah, I would have liked <laughs> to have seen her defeated some of the bad guys hey they've got a fiery version of it on on alcatraz that sean connery rolls through so you know <laughs> that's true why not yeah. have a spaceship and indiana jones and <laughs> the librarian like all these movies that i love have this kind of thing at the end and i'm like really <laughs> like, come on although i do love it in the librarian because they have to waltz down to the yeah. end it's great but <laughs> i just oh, yeah I her that. line there was hilarious All right, one last question before we delve into our actual favorite moments that are not just the whole movie itself. (laughs) Um, And this is just a fun one. Um, Daniel Swenson at Surly Muse asked, I have only one question. Are we too late for Alexander's panic attack? (laughs) (laughs) I love Alexander. Uh, Yeah, which is actually a really great, great segue into your first favorite thing. Yeah, so Alan Rickman, um, Alex's dedication to the craft of acting. When it, and he has that panic attack at the beginning and Jason tells him the show must go on. And he's like, damn you. And he's just like, he's so drawn to this. And I loved seeing his heart kind of open up from pretending to hate that role he was playing to gaining a real appreciation for it and its impact on others. And um all my favorite lines were his. So at one point on the spaceship, he like starts to walk away and they, and they say, Alex, where are you going? And he says, to see if there's a pub. And I was like, oh, hell yes, because we need whiskey in outer space too. And then when the commander is fighting that giant rock monster and it looks like he's going to lose and Alex is like, okay, what does the rock monster want? What's its motivation? <laughs> I just got so tickled. Um, mm. I thought that part was really, really fun. 
the music in this movie was wonderful. Like, I, I've got to go see if the film score is available because I loved it. And then, like I said, I was the whole thing with story and meta story and the humor and the fandom. I just those were all of, of my very favorite things. Um, but there was one line um, when they were like having to stop the bomb and it was counting down and it stopped at one. And Gwen said, yeah, it always stops at one on the show. And I thought, okay, well, does that mean that we are, like, following the scripts we believe have been written for our lives? Like, if you believe in that kind of story, does it, is it shaping you or are you shaping it? And the movie just raised so many questions about the power of story and fantasy, and I just loved it. So what about y'all? What were your favorite parts? Like you guys, I kind of can gush about the whole movie. Um, so I'm going to try to narrow it down just to just a few mm-hmm. things. Basically everything Gwen Sigourney Weaver um, but I think my very very favorite thing was when they ADR'd her line well screw that and you could clearly <laughs> yeah. say, see she was not saying screw that and then I found out originally this movie was rated R and they had to take out a lot of language to get it down to the PG rating that it ended up with <laughs> but I love that they were aware enough to actually see what she was saying like you could see it yeah, <laughs> and it just made me giggle. Um, and then also, she, you know, you you mentioned this line earlier, Kelly. She said, "Look, I have one job on this lousy ship. It's stupid, but I'm gonna do it. Okay?" <laughs> like, she knows her place. You know, she knows why she's there, and she's gonna do it the best that she absolutely can, even though she knows it's stupid, <laughs> because it's the only thing she can do in this, you know, fight of for their lives. Um, I, I did like in the mockumentary there's actually a line of uh, when it came time to cast the crew's one woman <laughs> it's it's not even implying that like oh there's lots of women on this ship but she's the only one who gets speaking lines no no, yeah, no. she's the one the one yeah <laughs> um, and then I really really liked how the naming convention of the Galaxy Quest ship um, it was the NTE 3210 which is so clearly an, an homage to the NCC-1701, which is the Enterprise. And then I found out that NTE is supposed to represent not the Enterprise. Oh. And when I found that out, it just made me giggle, and I just loved it even more. Like, my heart got big and warm, and I was like, these people <laughs> love the Star Trek so much that they are trying to incorporate it into this so much. I feel like the love of Star Trek just kind of oozes out of everything that they were doing in this movie. And it made me happy. (laughs) And then Tony Shalhoub's character, he was just so mellow and so laid back. And like, (laughs) you know, they were all in shock whenever they got hurtled through space to land on the spaceship. And he's just like, huh, well, how about that? Yeah. And that, that (laughs) one scene where they had him call through the intercom and he's like, yeah, just FYI, this is about to blow up. <laughs> right, right. So, like, whatever that guy is smoking throughout this whole movie, I want some. He was so mellow. It was great. It was fantastic. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was all really good, but th- those are the ones that I'm going to narrow it down to. Um, so what, what about you, Matthew? Uh, Sam Rockwell, I love in everything because I love the sort of charming delivery he always gives. And whilst you don't get that here, he's still really good. Um, and I love what they do with the character, like we said, calling out the, the red shirt trope. But in general, the, the her line of let's get out of here because before one of those things kills Guy. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> that's probably as close as it comes to nodding at the audience. But even even then, it's still in world. You can still believe it that that that's the sort of thing she would say. Right. Um, Sigourney Weaver, uh, same. She is fabulous in this. It is a thankless role, but she does it really, really well. And Alan Rickman is probably one of those actors who, when he's on screen, it doesn't matter what anyone else does because he's going to be the best actor there. Yep. Um, <laughs> and the the moment when they're in front of like three people for the opening of the shop. And it goes to him and she has to nudge him to go. And you can just, you can see on his face, he's not even doing anything, but you can see how much he's hating what he's doing. He has to consider whether he's going to go through with it. He's sort of talking himself to to jump and go. And he just gives his... By Grabthar's hammer. What a savings. <laughs> and it's a terrible line. It's so bad for someone that we've been told, you know, has got five curtain calls doing Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Ah, he delivers it marvelously. Mm-hmm. That's probably my my biggest laugh out loud moment of the film. <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah. But then to see the difference that his character goes through of like just absolutely hating that line at the beginning and then offering it in such heartfelt sincerity at the end when Quellick dies. Yeah. Mm. And and I I got all teary eyed. Like <laughs> that but I think it's Alan Rickman's whispering soft voice. Mm-hmm. The way that he delivers that line and then just the reality that the world is a much sadder place without him in it. I did. I got all misty eyed. It was so well done. So someone like that, I'm always grateful that we were uh, able to see him releasing films. Absolutely. Or releasing his work, yeah. So before we wrap up, is there anything else to discuss about Galaxy Quest? Well, I wanted to chat really quick about the possibility of a sequel to Galaxy Quest. It looks like they've been talking about doing this really since Mm. this film came out in 1999. Um, And then it kind of gained some traction in 2014. Um, and then, of course, in um, 2016, Alan Rickman passed away, and so kind of plans died after. Oh, that's really. So, so, so plans kind of were derailed um, and Expired, kind of put, it, put put aside um, because they just didn't really think they could do it without Alan Rickman. But in August, these of- are dead plans. They are no more. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But in August of last year, there was an announcement that Paul Shear will be writing a series for Amazon that's about Galaxy Quest and that his first drafts were submitted to Amazon in November. And so this is a thing that might actually happen. Um, I haven't seen anything since then, but I mean, November 2017 was not that long ago and you know tv takes forever um but i'm really kind of excited about it because paul Shear said that he wanted to create a serialized adventure that starts where the film ends but leads into the cultural shift in star trek that has occurred since 1999 he said i really wanted to capture the difference between the original cast of star trek and the jj abrams cast of star trek and to that end his initial scripts called for two separate cast sets that would come together by the end of the first season of this show so of course, there's no confirmation that any of the original cast from the movie would be in it. But I am super intrigued by this. Me too. That sounds very, very interesting. I, I like the idea, but 
like you know films of beloved science fiction franchises yeah. after a, a period are not always that good so i'm a little worried it would be hard to imagine it without alan rickman but it does sound like a, a really interesting idea I like the idea. Um, I think, and that's what I'm mm. more interested in. And if they can, if they can pull off the parody and keep it in the same tone and feel of the movie, I think it could be something really nice. But I don't know that they can do it because it's rare that you can pull off something that complicated. Although it sounds like yeah. they're doing that with the Orville, which I can't wait to watch. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. Check I would that recommend out. the Orville. It, it, it is very good. There are a couple of episodes where they've done Star Trek style stories. You know, the famous Star Trek stories of, oh, it did this really good racism allegory or the darkness in man allegory, things like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's done a couple of episodes like that that arguably it treated the subject better than Star Trek has ever done it. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not Star Trek. Let's just get that clear right here. Star Trek's still better. Um. <laughs> well, that's interesting because I was going to ask you. I had heard a couple of people say that the Orville does Star Trek better than Star Trek Discovery did this year. Oh, they are two fundamentally different beasts. Okay. Um, but I, w- watching the Orville, I expected it to be Seth MacFarlane makes fun of Star Trek, which was surprising because he loves Star Trek. Like he was in an episode of Enterprise, but but it absolutely is not. It is doing Star Trek stories with a sense of humor. Okay. The the gelatinous blob. A crew member who is going after the uh, human doctor on the ship and just doing jokes in within that that aren't what Family Guy would have done with them. So it's good. I recommend it. I'll have to check that out. Okay, yeah. It's mm. definitely on my list. All right. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. You can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vose. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so pleased you you enjoyed this film and and got a lot out of it. Uh, Where can everyone find you? Thank you so much for having me. I love talking to y'all and I'm so glad that you had me watch this movie. Folks can find me on Twitter at Dr. Kelly Jones or at southernfriedscholar.com. Pop Culture Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through Patreon. Anything you can give, even just $1 a month, gives access to exclusive content and helps to support the network and other shows. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And don't forget to check out the homepage, eloquentgushing.com, where you can find our other shows and subscribe to our weekly newsletter about all the latest news and announcements. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about season six of Parks and Rec. Until next time, I'm Andy Kay. And never give up. Never surrender. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.